Okay. Now, from our last lesson, we spoke about the problems that people have with old wineskins and new wine. And uh, the two don't necessarily go together. So, uh, today we're going to pick up with Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 18. And that's where we finished off before. And um, we'll go back real quick and, and down to verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst and the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins, but new wine is for new, fresh wineskins. Now, Luke in chapter 5 verse 39 adds this, but no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. We're not talking about vintage wine. Certainly, vintage wine is much better than the stuff you made in the bathtub this week. You know, we understand that. Vintage, vintage wine is good. But Jesus is talking about old wineskins, the old way of doing things, and that he warns us in, in uh, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 10, and then Isaiah 43, 18, to don't be thinking about the past. Don't, don't say the old days were better than today because that's not wise for us to do that. So now, now an interesting thing happened here between, and now I'm using um, a Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, it's, it's really a great tool. If you don't have one, you should get one. And, um, and I always use it, and, and I have color codes. I color code different things, mean different things. Uh, uh, green is good, uh, pink is bad, uh, blue is something that God's told us to do, and, and yellow is just general stuff. So I've had this, this system, and I find that it works really well. But when I get into this harmony of the Gospels, I find that between Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 22, and Mark chapter 2, verse 23, uh, scholars say the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John happened during that time. Now, I'm not sure where they come up with, but a, a chronological Bible, all of them, we look at the same. We see that they placed uh, John chapter 5. So real quick, let's go back. He's just talked about the new wine, old wine. And then it says this in John chapter 5. After this, a Jewish festival took place. And so we see in John chapter 5, there's five things that, that, that happened in there. Um, an invalid was healed and... and um, Guess what? This got Jesus in trouble. I know it's hard to believe, but he's in trouble again. And um, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went to Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. There is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades, five large columns. Within these lay a multitude of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. So, it's not a good place to be. I can't imagine the odor that would be in there. It's just got to be a bad place to be. And it uh, says, these people lay there waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would come down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in the water after it was stirred 
uh, would be healed. Now, so if you think of this pool, and you've got everybody is so close to this pool, whoever got there first got the place by the pool, and, you know, the water stirs, and I'm sure there's some 10-year-old kid when nobody's looking through a rock in the water, just as in it stirred and people jumped in the water. And I think he probably got in a lot of trouble with his, with his parents. And I think, um, don't tell anyone, but that kid would have probably been me. But anyway, so we go down to verse 5 in John chapter 5 and we see this. One man was there who'd been sick for 38 years. This guy's been this way for a long time, okay? And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to them, do you want to get well? Ah, this is a great question. And um, I would suggest to you that Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 would be scriptures that you could base this on. Do you want to get well? You pray that scripture... And Jesus said, and, and, and in that scripture it says, Lord, show me if there be any wicked or hurtful way in me. And if there is, lead me in the way everlasting. And so those two scriptures right there provide a foundation for do you really want to get well. Now don't pray those prayers unless you mean them because God will, uh, God will take you at your word when you pray them. But now listen to this. He says, do you want to get well? This is the guy's question. Now here you can see where the old wine and the new wine, you can see where the old wine starts playing, it's raising its ugly head, so to speak. Do you want to get well? The guy, the sick man answered, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes ahead of me. And so within the framework of his life, that's the only way he knows to get healed. This is the way we've always done it. If, if you could be here when the angel comes and throw me in the pool, then I'll, I'll get healed. But he's, again, this is old wine. This is the old wine skin. This is the way we've always done it. This is how it's happened. And he's been sick for 38 years. We don't know how long he's been in there, but he's been there for a long time. So, Jesus said this to him again. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Doesn't it sound familiar? This is what he said to the guy that came down through the roof. And remember, he's asking this man to do something that he's never done before. He's 30, I don't, we don't know how old he is, but he's been this way for 38 years. So his legs are atrophied. Um, I don't know uh, what it looked like when he was sitting there, but he, his, he doesn't have any muscles that can do this. And Jesus asks him to do something he has no ability to do. Is that fair? Or you would think this. Jesus would touch him, his legs would come out and grow up, and then he'd walk. But that's not what happened. That's not the way Jesus does things. He says, get up, walk, take up your mat and walk. And instantly, the man picked up his mat and started to walk. Now, guess what happened? There's... Seven days a week, and Jesus always manages to do these things on the Sabbath. Now, Scriptures tell us, John tells us that the things that were written were written for us to be able to, to know that Jesus is the Christ. Well, you know He healed on the other six days, but it's the Sabbath day. That's the day that gets us in trouble. This is when old wineskins break. We could have 
an old wineskin festival where things just break and come across. It says, verse uh, 9, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. Well, you go over to John chapter 9, Jesus gets in the same pickle again with the guy that was born blind. Was born blind. Okay? So, Jesus replied, or this man replied, the man, verse 11, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man that told you to pick up your man and walk? But the man said, he was cured, said, I don't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away to the crowd. Okay, so Jesus doesn't know, or pardon me, this man doesn't know that Jesus did it. He doesn't know who it is. He just knows he was sitting there and he got well. Now, after this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And the man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Now, I want to unpack this just a little bit here. Um, See that you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Uh, what's he talking about? What, 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 what does he mean, uh, don't sin? Well, in this situation... If you go back to Job, God builds a hedge around you. And His Word in Deuteronomy 28, many places, God says, I built a shelter around you. This is Old Testament teaching. I built a shelter around you. And what when you start operating in sin, you place yourself on Satan's territory. And when you do, you're under his authority. And Jesus said that, that when a, the demon goes out of a man, if the house is swept clean, if, if you don't replace it with something else, seven worse demons could come in and make it worse than, than it was before. So, in this case, Jesus is telling him, your house is swept clean here. Uh, don't spend your time with those who are going to dirty it up again. That's, that's in essence what he's saying. And something else to consider here, how many people do you think were in that colonnade? How many people were around those things? There's, there's hundreds of them, maybe thousands. Who knows? Jesus only spoke to one guy. He only healed one guy. Okay? And when you get to John chapter... Pardon me, not John. When you get to Acts chapter 3, you'll see that uh, uh, John and Jane, uh, Peter and John, I guess it is. Peter and John, I forgot. We're walking along and they saw a blind man. And he says, um, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, get up and walk. How many times did Jesus walk by that guy? We don't know. But only a certain thing happened. So Jesus only healed one guy here. Now, the idea that you can get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and that you understand, and if you go back and look, uh, Luke said that the power of healing was with Jesus. When you see this, you can't just go into the hospital and walk down the hallway and raise your hand and bring everybody out and get them up. It doesn't work that way. And Jesus only healed one guy out of this whole whole deal. Only one. So, let's go down and, and see what happens. The end result of this, in chapter, six, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because He was doing these things on the Sabbath. He's pouring new wine 
and they won't go get new wineskins. Their, their wineskins are bursting. Okay? Now, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So now we've got a complete turnover of the old. Of, of the old. Jesus is completely destroying the old, and they're not going to put up with it because they, they have no idea how this works. And you know, um, if uh, later on you find that Nicodemus had gone to the to to them and said, "We don't we don't get on a guy because of this. We give him a, you know a fair shake." And they said, "Go look for yourself and see if a prophet comes out of Galilee." No prophet comes out of Galilee. Well, Jesus wasn't from Galilee, and if they had done any kind of investigation at all, they would have found out that he wasn't from Galilee. He was from where? He was from Nazareth. So at this point. As we go through here, we're seeing that Jesus is just turning this thing upside down on their head. Now, verse 19, Jesus begins a dialogue with these guys. And if you follow along, Jesus' dialogue with the Pharisees gets complicated and very interesting. And it gets very um, acerbic at times. It gets very um, uh, sharp, let's say. But what, Here's the key thing. Jesus replied, The Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does, and He does these things in the same way. So, Father loves the Son and shows Him everything He is doing, and He will show Him even greater works than these, <coughs> Excuse me, so that He will be amazed. I assure you, anyone who hears My word and believes in Me has eternal life. And will not come under judgment. Now, at this point, as you're watching this, uh, you can see that Jesus is telling us that he only does what the Father tells him to do. It was the Father that told him, go find this guy that's been out for 38 years. And the Holy Spirit told him that. And he didn't tell him to go to any of the others. Why? I don't know. We don't know. He just said that this is the guy that Jesus went to heal. And he got there because the Father told him to go. Now... If you go on over in, in uh, later on in John chapter 5, um, you go down to verse 37. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen, in his, haven't seen his form. You don't have his word living in you because you don't believe in the one he sent. Now, this, at this point, Jesus isn't pouring new wine into the old wineskins. He's taken a whole vat of wine and dumped it on their heads. Okay? Because now Jesus becomes very sharp. And, and um, uh, one thing about Jesus is he never stops to say, oh, wait, wait a minute, you guys misunderstood me. Let, let me explain this further to you so that you'll understand. No, you have not heard his... He's telling the teachers of the law, the people that spend their time in seminaries working through this, you have not heard His voice at any time and you haven't seen His form because you don't have His Word living in you. Because you don't believe the one He sent. You don't believe the one He sent. Jesus has been telling them this. They don't believe in the one that He sent. Now, you pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about Me. They're, not, they're, they're looking 
at the structure that they've created and they're fitting everything inside of that one. Now, go down to verse 41. I do not accept glory from men, but I know you that you have no love of God within you. Do you think there's anything that Jesus is saying that might make these people mad? I think so. And I have come in my Father's name and you don't accept me. And if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe? Your accuser is Moses on whom you've set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But you don't believe his writings. How will you believe my words? You could spend a long time in chapter 5, and you'll see as it, gets, as, as it goes down the road in John, these, these discussions get testier and testier and testier as you go along. And Jesus is simply telling them the truth. Speaking truth to power will get you in trouble. Believe me. Now, at this point, we're back into Mark, chapter 2, verse 23. Maybe it's a week later, I don't know, but on verse 23, on the Sabbath, again, we're on the Sabbath. We don't know what happened between now and then, but we do know that he's on the Sabbath. So it's at least a week ago, at least a week has passed by here. He was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to make their way picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Again, old wine. Old wineskins. Um, we've not done it this way before. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus pulls a fast one on them again. He said to them, Have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar or Abathar, the high priest, and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and also gave some to his companions. So, David's dragging other people into this mess with him. He's giving them the bread. And in verse 27, it says, He told them the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, this scripture is also covered in Matthew chapter 12. <coughs> and in Matthew, uh, we have heard things in Matthew that are not in Mark. But listen to what Matthew says again. This will sound very similar to something he said earlier. Matthew chapter 12, verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? But I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now listen to this in verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's interesting that within in, in, in Matthew, it was within three chapters, but uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Matthew, or Levi, the tax collector, says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He repeats that again in verse 7 of chapter 12. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The only guy that does this is Levi, is Matthew, the tax collector. 
Why is he saying this? Why is he the only one that says this? Well, if we go back and, and, and you go back and you look, it says the whole crowd was coming to him in verse chapter 2, verse uh, 12, 13, I mean. Then 15, while he was reclined the table, many tax collectors and sinners were his guests. Why were they guests? Why were they so comfortable with Jesus? Well, Jesus loved them. He didn't condemn them. And they received mercy and grace from Him. It's that simple. Jesus is telling them, or what Levi's telling them, I've received much forgiveness from God. So I want to extend that to other people. And um, uh, I, I, can, I can share a story, one of my uh, favorite stories. Um, I was getting upset uh, with my... Wife, because she was late. I've always been that way. I've always been on time. I've had to be on time everywhere I ever went. If you're there at 10 o'clock, if you're supposed to be there at 10 and you get there at 10, you're late. You need to be there at 10 till. That's called Lombardi time, If it, for those of you who are, are familiar with professional football. It's Lombardi time. If you're not, If you're not there at 10 till, you're late. I grew up that way. I was in schools that, that required me to do that. And so in this situation, um, I was upset with my wife because she was late. And she was late for two or three things in the same day. And um, there was plenty of time to do it. And so I went out into the garage to get in the car and I was grumbling. Uh, I was murmuring. And I was, um, uh, what's the word, uh, the other thing? There's a lot of things that God told Moses not to do that I was doing. Uh, murmuring, grumbling, complaining, whining. And, and I, and, and, but God's grace is so great about this. I said, Lord, this is aggravating to me. And then He showed me in a picture in my mind things I struggle with that I've struggled with for years. Anger and other things and and, and he overlaid that picture on top of my wife situation. So in that, in doing that, bless you. In doing that, I discovered that what God's wanting me to do is to extend the grace and mercy to her that I received and that I had been unwilling to do. And all of a sudden, being on time didn't mean anything anymore. Because I, I expect God to give me grace for things I've done wrong, and I did not want to extend that to my wife. I demanded that she follow my rules and my old wine about being on time, and the Lord said that's not the right way to do it. And so I have repented thoroughly of that. And, um, and But it was a great lesson. That's how the Holy Spirit teaches you. He doesn't beat you over the head and, and say, hey, look here, you know, grab you by the throat and say, look here, I want you to learn. He'll teach you in a way that you understand. And when I heard this, I go, yeah, I get it. I understood it. It's less than well said, and I won't have that issue anymore. Now, and I gave the Holy Spirit permission that if I did start complaining about it, that He would let me know. And so I'm, I'm trusting that He will do that. Now, let's go down to... Mark chapter 2, verse 23, quickly. He's going through the grain, and, and it says uh, that they were in need of hunger, and he said, the, the Lord 
Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Uh, what is he talking about when he's saying that the Lord is Lord even of the Sabbath? Well, the primary thing that he's talking about here is uh, that God set rules up for our benefit, not for His benefit, so that we would have to follow His rules. He's setting things up for our benefit. And the, the, the Sabbath was a time of rest. And unfortunately, in today's society, we have lost that ability to rest. It's rest. We just, we've got 24-7 news channels. We've got everything's 24-7. You, you know, uh, back then they didn't have the internet. At least I don't think they did. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they didn't. Uh, but, you know, the point was is that they didn't have to spend all their time up. And he wanted them to rest. Rest from their labors. Well, we don't do that anymore, but that, that's what that was built for. So, if we go back here and look at these things, I think the first thing we want to look at in chapter 2 is that Jesus is turning the idea of rules on their head. Okay? Now, next time we get together, uh, we will proceed with Mark chapter 3, and it would be great to spend time reading Mark chapter 3 and looking at, again, Jesus gets in trouble for what day? It's not Wednesday. It's not Thursday, Thursday, or Monday, Monday. It's the Sabbath day. And the Sabbath day is when he it seems that he gets in trouble all the time. And I think the Scriptures put it in there to show us that he's, he is not placing us in a position where we have to do things because of His rules. In other words, these rules were made for our benefit. Now, uh, going through chapter 3, and then after we get done with chapter 3, I think we can take care of chapter 3 in one session, but after we get done with chapter 3, we'll move into one of the toughest uh, teachings in the Scriptures, and it's one of the best that there is, is the parable of the sower. And uh, we will spend a lot of time on the parable of the sower. So, uh, going back through this again, chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Mark, uh, Jesus outlines for us what it is that He does and why He was successful. He was born again. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went into the desert. While He was in the desert, He heard what He was called to do. Uh, then He went and did it. And, uh, and in that process, He learned who He was. If you go to, to Luke chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16. You can read in Luke chapter 4 that they, that they have a... Um, he tells them, I am who this guy speaks about in, in the Scriptures. You can see that in the Scriptures. If you go back to, to John chapter 1, uh, you find out that John the Baptist said the same thing. When he described, when they asked him who he was, he described who he was from the Scriptures. He said, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. Jesus did the same thing. And He wants us to be able to do that. Uh, he's called each of us to do something. And we should be able to go to the Scriptures and define what it is that God's asked us to do and see that from the Scriptures. That's one of the things that happened in John chapter 1. That's what He showed us there. And then again in John chapter 2, Jesus begins to turn uh, the rules of the Pharisees upside down. And um, we'll, we, as you walk through this, I want you to just think in terms of Jesus is, is 
tearing down the old structure. What happened when uh, when he when he died? What happened to the to the to the curtain? It got split right down the middle, and it's it's not there anymore, uh, because these rules and these blocks that the Pharisees had don't apply to us today. We have a freedom that that they didn't know about. Jesus is trying to tell them, but there was a quite spiritual warfare. Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is taken by force, and and this is what's happening. There's spiritual warfare going on here. And we do not want to be caught in that spiritual warfare in old wineskins. We want to be in new wineskins. We want to receive what the Lord's teaching us. Then we'll have enough courage. Remember, he asked these guys to do something that they couldn't do. As we walk through this and we hear from God, He's going to ask us to do some things we're not comfortable doing. Maybe speaking in tongues might be one of them. Maybe maybe you're not comfortable. Maybe you've never heard of that. I'm just telling you that God's going to ask us to do things that He had that we had not done before, and we're going to see that as we move into uh, Mark chapter four. As we get to Mark chapter four, you're going to see some things that you hadn't seen before, and you're going to hear some things that you hadn't heard before, which is what we want. Uh, the Lord will show us the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So I appreciate your time today. Um, Jesus has the words of eternal life, and we're going to rely on those. So um, I'm going to pray, and and, uh, we'll close this session out. Father, thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time together. We ask You that these words go forth and minister to everybody, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. As I watch the world around me, I can see his from the seed of Abraham and led them through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy, he gave his only son who became the sacrifice for everyone. Oh, God's mercy